Good morning and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I'm Pittsburgh Current editor and publisher Charlie Deitch. Um, a lot of talk has been given to the potential blue wave of Democratic candidates who are working to wrest control of the United States Congress from Republicans. In Pennsylvania, there are several Democratic candidates who are hoping to make waves of their own. One of those is Lindsey Williams, a candidate for the 38th District uh, Senate seat, um, which encompasses the North Hills and uh, East, uh, East End City neighborhoods like East Liberty, Larimer, Lincoln, and parts of Homewood. Um, and Lindsay joined us today as our guest. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Before we get to the campaign, and there's a lot that's been happening this week in your campaign, obviously, yes. um, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, you grew up in a union household. Um, you spent your professional career fighting for workers' rights. Um, you worked for the National Whistleblower Center. Yes, I did. And in kind of a weird turn of events, you were fired from that job. Your job was terminated because you tried to unionize there. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your background and how that sort of shaped you as uh, with the political ideology you have today as well as your candidacy. Yeah. So my dad just retired after 40 years with the operating engineers. Wow. So he ran heavy equipment, cranes mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, my grandfather was a city bus driver with ATU and my other grandfather helped start a union. He was a machinist. Um, so I grew, you know, up talking around the kitchen table mm -hmm. about how um, you know, economic issues really impact a family and how, you know, I, I saw my dad get up at four in the morning and drive an hour to work, work all day in the rain, sleet, snow, mm -hmm. turn around, drive an hour back and drive straight to his union meeting wow. because he, he valued it. Yeah. So um, he just taught me that, you know, you work together to fight for better wages, make sure you have a secure retirement, um, good health care, that sort of thing. And so when I went to school, I knew that I wanted to do some kind of employee rights work. Mm -hmm. And that's when I came to law school at, to go to Duquesne. That's okay. what I focused on. And growing up, I would, I, I, um, my father was a minister, but then he also did some, he did some union work back, of course, when manufacturing was, was king around here. Um, and it, it really is, um, union is, Union families, I think, are very much um, something sticks with you. I think into your adulthood as you sort of as you watch your um, you know as you grow up in that environment, and I think that it makes you sort of uh, uh, sort of like cherish that you know those rights that those rights that you have. Yeah. And so, um, what kind of work did you do at the um, at the whistleblowers center? So that was my first job out of law school. Was it really? Yeah, I was their um, director of advocacy. Mm -hmm. So it was my job to help you know, protect individual whistleblowers who came forward. So I helped them tell their stories um, to help get their, their job back or get their pension mm -hmm. or their security clearance or whatever. And we represented, you know, corporate whistleblowers and government whistleblowers, everything from, you know, an FDA whistleblower who blew the whistle on, you know, breast cancer screening devices being approved over their objections that gave women, you know, twice as much radiation and detected wow. half as much cancer. Um, and... Then using those stories to help pass legislation mm -hmm. that would better protect the next whistleblower. Um, so it was really a storyteller mm -hmm. um, for the and and protector for those workers. And I was really proud of that work. Yeah. So were were you surprised? Um, and I'm not sure what the what the working conditions were there that made you decide to try for unionization. But here you are working for <laughs> an agency whose job it is to take care of people who. Who who stand up, you know, for workplace their rights in the workplace. So were you surprised by that whole that whole situation? Yes, I mean, 
I I was working there because I truly believed uh, in the mission of the right. organization. And me and my coworkers were working for years with, you know, low wages, you know, no retirement benefits, um, with the idea that we were building this organization, this nonprofit together, mm-hmm. and that when they got a big settlement or a big grant, that they would, you know, make it up to us. Right. And they settled a case for $104 million. Wow. It's literally in the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, and turned around and told me and my coworkers that they couldn't give us the raises and bonuses we promised when they wow. were promised. So we got together and, and we attempted to organize. And I was fired um, illegally by a voicemail um, after working there for four and a half years. Wow. And you, uh, you actually you won a claim with the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, um, and settled that suit, correct? Yes, it it took two years of litigation. It was not it was not fun, um, but you know I I was presented with a severance agreement where I could have could have signed and could have got a little yeah. money, um, but it had a clause that said I couldn't talk about my experience ever yeah. again. And you know that goes against everything I believe. That goes against everything I thought the organization stood for. And I didn't sign and and right. did the litigation instead. And that's I think a lot of people are kind of being put to that choice because we we I'm sure you saw the story of uh, the Silkscreen uh, Film Festival in which there was a whistleblower who um, blew the whistle on sexual harassment um, there. And um, they, the day they terminated her, they asked her, they offered her a severance package, which wasn't a lot, but told her that she needed to sign her rights away and she refused. And those are the kind of, uh, are you, are we seeing that more and more that those are the kind of, you know, I mean, not only do a lot of workers not have union protections, but these are the kind of situations, these are the kind of, um, these are the kind of, uh, decisions that workers are being forced into yeah. just to try and provide for their families. Yeah. Are we seeing that more and more? Absolutely. And we're seeing it both on the front end and the back end. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing it when people are illegally terminated. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing it at hire on new hire packets mm-hmm. have things that are, you know, really not actually legal. Yeah. But um, people are forced to sign them because you, you, you're you put in between a rock and a hard place right. um, with feeding, like you said, with feeding your family. Yeah. So – how do all these things sort of at, at what point is there ever a point that you considered yourself growing up is there any point you considered yourself political i mean was there a point that you uh were i mean obviously like you said you grew up in the union household but you were paying attention to to candidates and paying attention to races yeah i mean i always paid attention like mm-hmm. i was that person who watched the world news with yeah. my dad every <laughs> night and so i was always paying attention i think the first candidate i volunteered for was uh senator casey when he ran the first yeah. time was the first candidate I actually volunteered for it and then have like just done that for years since. Wow. And is that something that was part of your family growing up too? Um, Yeah. I mean, I always, you know, I always went with my parents when they voted every time. And so I, they taught me how important it is to be and how your vote, every vote does matter. And so that's why, you know, I registered to vote as a Democrat in when I was 18 and I voted in every special general and primary Mm -hmm. election since then let's talk a little bit so how do you get from um someone who's politically active someone who's involved in in workers rights and labor issues how do you then transition into state senate candidate what where was where was that pivot for you yeah i don't think it was one particular thing Mm -hmm. but it was a build-up of you know the time that i had spent with the national whistleblower center working on litigation i mean on legislation where i saw you know how a good legislator could really push a piece mm-hmm. of legislation that would protect people, but how few there were doing right. that work. And then I um, 
I got the job with the Pittsburgh Federation of Teachers, and I've, I've loved working for my teachers. Yeah. They're incredible. Um, and seeing that same thing in Harrisburg and how hard it is, yeah. you know, and, and the fights that are co- coming on public education. And so it was like, this is this is the time to, yeah. to do that. I, I, I want to keep doing the same thing that I've been doing for the last 10 years, and that's fight for those issues in Harrisburg. Great. Um, and, and you're sort of, um, I mean, I'm sure you didn't plan it. I'm sure it was just the timing, but, um, this year we've seen a lot of women candidates step up to the plate and, um, not only, not, not only step in to be candidates, but also be successful. And we're, we've seen that a lot this cycle. Um, and hopefully it will continue. Um, because if it's one thing we don't need more of, it's old white men in Harrisburg. There's no question about that. Um, so, so is, is, is it, does it add anything extra to your ex? Does it make it any more different for you? Or do you think about that? Um, let me ask it this way. Do you think of it differently? The fact that you're a woman candidate. I mean, do you think about that at all in terms of. Not usually. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it's pretty awesome to be on a slate with some really fantastic female candidates yeah. who, you know, we're, we're sharing resources We're you know, there's somebody I can lean on when there's a really tough day or there's another yeah. attack ad or something yeah. you can call and you have somebody who understands what it's like and that, that yeah. sisterhood is helpful. Do you think the expectations are different on a, on a woman candidate um, from voters? I mean, do they expect you to, to show them something more, do they? Do you think they expect more from you than they than they would? Uh, I'm a male candidate because it's kind of been the norm. I, I think voters want all candidates to be authentic yeah. and to be their real selves, and I think that's really what they're looking for. They're sick of name calling yeah. and the dirty stuff. They really just want to know who you are, what you stand for, and what you want to fight for. Right. Let's go back. Let's go back to the primary. Um, and at that time, when you got in the race and you had a primary, you had a contested primary yourself, but. Um, I think a lot of people, myself, at least I'll speak for myself. I, I thought for sure your opponent this fall would be, uh, Randy Velakovich, um, a long time, um, represent former state representative. And he took over the state Senate seat of Jane Ori after her conviction, um, back in 2011, 2012. Um, were you surprised and, and spoiler alert, Randy Velakovich lost, um, in, uh, a tough campaign, also a pretty, a pretty bloody campaign yeah. is, is how I saw one pundit describe it. Um, were you surprised at that outcome? And, and just, I guess for the record, um, he was defeated by Jeremy Schaefer, a Ross Township uh, supervisor, um, commissioner rather. And so um, we'll talk more about um, him in a second. But um, were you surprised at that outcome? Did you expect to be facing Randy Velakovich? I did. I was yeah. surprised. I And I don't know if it was because I wasn't paying enough attention mm-hmm. to that side of the race because I had my sure, own Sure, you had a lot to do. Um, but he was a well-respected yeah. state senator, and I, and I knew that that's what I was going up against. Randy and I had, you know, policy differences, mm-hmm. but, you know – that that's why I was running against him, and what happened in the primary was pretty nasty. Yeah, and and um, the thirty eighth district, just for a little bit of history, the thirty eighth district now is the North Hills of Pittsburgh, which used to be the the district of Jane Ory, um, and it's um, it's of it's more affluent, it's more white um, than the other part of the district, which is again as we said earlier, um, neighborhoods in the city of Pittsburgh, including. 
um, parts of Homewood, Lincoln, Larimer, um, East Liberty. And there's also, also Highland Park and some other neighborhoods, uh, Belmar, uh, uh, Belmar Court, I think it's called, um, are um, also Belmar Gardens. Sorry. Um, they're also, they're also in, they're also in, mixed in there too. And that at the time was in 2012 when there was gerrymandering going on. It was an attempt to cut out Jim Furlow's district, which used to be very much a a sort of voting block of black voters, African-American voters who really had a say in there. And that was sort of chopped up in there. So as you look and, at the, And don't forget yeah. about the white working class oh, yes. along the river. Exactly, and, exactly. You know, st- old steel mill towns. Exactly. So, right. So there were a lot of, a lot of blue collar folks who were now sort of within representation. And it's a, it's a, Almost is it? It's definitely more than two hundred thousand uh, residents, I believe, uh, around there. Um, do you see what do you, what do you see in that district as as you've gone around and you've talked to to a lot of people? Yes. I'm sure. Oh yes, <laughs> I'm wearing out the wheels on my tire, <laughs> wheels on my car. What are you seeing as um, as overall? What are you seeing as the top issues? And are you seeing any commonalities between? These uh, the Pittsburgh neighborhoods again that are more working class, and then the um, like I said, the more affluent uh, northern communities. The issues that I hear, um, I I hear the most are education mm-hmm. and healthcare and and jobs. Yeah, and I hear about that all over. That it doesn't matter where I am right. in the district, where I'm hearing about that. You know, people are struggling with healthcare costs and rising prescription drugs, and the fact that they can't access the doctor that they want, mm-hmm. um, and the education, you know, all over the district, they're struggling under like losing money to cyber charters, right. <laughs> whether you're, you know, whether yeah. you're North Hills or you're the city, all those districts are suffering. Um, so I'm hearing the same the type of thing, you know, a little different, of course, yeah, of but course. those same like core issues all over the district. Do you think it, it, it be, it's difficult for a representative to, um, certainly not impossible, do you, th- do you think it's difficult to, um, as you said, there are some core things there, but um, the education needs of like, say, you know, in Lincoln, Lincoln, Lemington and Larimer may be different than those um, up in Bradford, Bradford yeah. Woods. And um, I think that's why you have to, you know, talk about those issues mm-hmm. more in depth. I mm-hmm. mean, this surface isn't what people want anymore. And so, you know, ACLU tried to put together a forum in the city on criminal justice reform. And that really impacts education. Um, And so spending, you know, an hour at the Kingsley Center talking about that in depth in front of that community Mm -hmm. and and getting asked questions. Yeah. That's important. Absolutely. Um, Going. uh, So let's let's move. First, let me say this. This is the Pittsburgh Current podcast. You can follow us on our socials at Pittsburgh at PGH Current and online at PittsburghCurrent.com. And we are talking to Lindsay Williams, a Democratic uh, candidate for Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Senate candidate for the 38th district. You can find her online at lindsay4pa.com. Um, so, uh, I think we should talk about that. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about, um, you know, let's talk a little bit more about education. Actually, I wanted to ask you, um, what do you see as, as the biggest, one of the biggest challenges facing educators? You work for the PSCA, um, PFT. I'm sorry, PFT. Sorry. That's um, okay. Is it um, is it is it funding? Is it is it class size? What what are the major what are the major issues, and how yeah. do you address that? Funding. I yeah. mean, funding 
is what impacts class mm-hmm. size. Like people tend to not uh, associate the two. Right. But when you don't have the funding, you don't have the paraprofessionals in the classroom. Right. Um, you don't have school counselors. You don't have a nurse in every school all day. Um, you don't have a librarian all day. So that school funding is more than just, you know, teacher salaries, which likes to get splashed across the front of right. the paper. Right, <laughs> exactly. But it actually is, you know, students' learning conditions. And and what what about what about the fu- what about funding issues in terms of fair funding for um, especially for charter schools in particular cyber charter schools yeah. where there are no you know there is no brick and there are no there are no brick and mortar costs there are no actual costs yet they the, the same per pupil uh, cost goes to those schools is that some I assume that's something that obviously I'm sure that's something you you deal with you know in yeah. your in your job with PFT so what w- what about that and. What is what is the fix for that? Yeah, I mean, we have the worst charter school law yeah. in the country. And, you know, Eugene DePasquale, our auditor general, mm-hmm. has been doing, you know, a great job trying to, like, bring some accountability there. But we really need reform that makes um, charter schools accountable, just like public schools, because that's, that's our taxpayer yeah. dollars. It's going in there, doesn't have the same transparency and accountability. Teachers aren't held to the same standards. It's not the same requirements. The money, the charter schools are not taking the same students. They often don't ha- take students with the most um, expensive disabilities right. to educate. So there's a lot of work to be done on that that is, that is wasted taxpayer money. Right. How do we how do we get to that point where I mean, be it education or be it women's health or or anything, um, how, how do we how do we get past the the roadblock I guess that we currently have in Harrisburg? The roadblock's probably not more of a blockage. It's yeah. probably more the how, how do you how do you how do you how would you get through that? Like how do you how how do you work with? I mean, there are certainly legislators on both sides of the aisle that are willing to work together, but then we have some real obstructionists in Harrisburg that block substantial legislation. I'm talking to you, Daryl. Um, mm-hmm. So um, how do you, how do you get through that? How do you, I think that's bringing new voices there. Yeah. That's bringing new people there who have got a fresh, fresh perspective and can, can work with both sides, but also mm. can fight for what their community wants. Right. And, you know, statistically, this is where I'll throw the women card in a little yeah, bit. Please. Statistically, you know, women are better at working together. They co-sponsor more legislation. Mm-hmm. They're more effective. And there was a great study that that is true here in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania's 49th in the country in terms of representation of right. women. So us bringing some more women to Harrisburg to to really get, you know, roll up our sleeves and get to work, I think we're going to be better as a commonwealth. And another race that, um, uh, another a very important on the state rep side, um, Emily Skopoff, a Democrat who you've been yes. doing some campaigning with and working with, yeah. correct? Her, um, that entire district is in my state yes. Senate district, as is Betsy Monroe, who's running right. what was Hal English's seat. Correct, yeah. So um, she's got a stiff challenge against Mike Terza. Again, when we talk about bringing new voices, this is, this is, this is kind of the opportunity. And so I would think it would be, you know, to get that synergy of getting several new folks elected, um, could potentially is the, is the thing. And and also there's, there's probably, there's a decent chance of actually turning the Senate, uh, from, well, at least breaking a veto proof majority. It is that, that is really important. That's why, and that's why this seat is a targeted race Mm -hmm. and a top race in the state is because there is a veto proof majority of Republicans in the state Senate. So when bad stuff gets pushed down, you know, 
the governor can't veto it. So whether right. that be environmental or women's right to choose or right to work for less legislation, you name it, like, yeah. it's going to be tough to it, stop. And that's another, I mean, there has been, um, I mean, easily since since 2010, at least, if not a little earlier, there's been a, I mean, it's always gone on, but there's been a real assault on women's health issues uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, across the country, sure, but in Pennsylvania, it's been particularly... Um, I mean, the amount of legislation that's been passed is nothing compared to the amount of just foolhardy legislation that they've tried to push through, like uh, mandatory ultrasounds and, and things like that. And so I think that um, I think that, again, it's it's a matter of getting new voices, not just. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, maybe we can stop playing defense and yeah. start like really pushing some things that are actually going to make right. people's lives better. Exactly. And. Although we have to point out that not all new voices are, you know, mm. <laughs> the answer. Well, true. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your about your about your race against um, Jeremy Schaefer. Um, Jeremy is a uh, he's a township. He's a commissioner in uh, Ross Township, um, and he is um, a Republican. And in my opinion, at least from what I've seen, he very much identifies. To me, anyway, I identify him as a member of that kind of far right wing of the Republican Party. A um, couple of couple of quick instances, for example, uh, Ross Township actually stepped up and they did what state legislators couldn't or wouldn't do, which is they passed um, anti discrimination laws to protect LGBTQ citizens. And um, what I find, what I find, I think for myself, if you're going to support something, if that's your if that's your feeling, if you truly believe. That, that this isn't the right thing you should you, then you should vote no. Jeremy Schaefer didn't show up and that I think is is one of the things that 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 you know obviously I, I don't agree with his with his with his argument or his side of things but you need to show up if 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 those if those are your opinions. Um what have been your interactions with him thus far? You, I mean it's it's your campaign has gotten negative and as we as we've talked not your campaign the campaign yeah. against you sorry has has gotten negative and as we talked about the the it was Jeremy Schaefer who launched the campaign against Randy Velakovich. So what has that dynamic been like in, in running this race against Jeremy Schaefer? Well, we were prepared for it yeah. because we knew that because he did that in the primary yeah. to Senator Velakovich that he was going to do that to me. Um, and so we expected it and it's been pretty, pretty yeah. rough, but you know, I don't, think that people are responding to it. I yeah. mean, it, uh, when I'm talking to voters on the doors and at community meetings and everything, they want to talk about the issues. They yeah. really, they are sick of name calling yeah. and, and the dirty politics of it all. Um, that talking to voters is still, yeah. you know. How, how do you, how do you stay above the fray? Because I mean, it, the easiest thing to do of course is to roll up your sleeves and get down into the mud too. I mean, that's, that's very easy. I've done it myself. Um, so how do you stay above the fray? I mean, when when the easiest thing would be to say is to just sort of punch back or or, or do something like that. How, how do you how do you do that? I think it's you know it's just who I am. Like I I as a voter want to hear about the issues. Mm -hmm. So I just when I decided to run, I decided that that's how I was going to run this race is right. talking about issues, telling people who I am. And, you know, also taking the opportunity when when necessary to tell the voters who Jeremy Schaefer is. And who, who is Jeremy Schaefer? In, in I, I, I agree. I do think he's a far-right Republican. I mean, he's taking and 
he's not ta- he may not be talking about the issues right but you can tell that by the money he's taking right um from Betsy DeVos funded organizations right. like Students First is, that are you know bent on privatizing our schools and school vouchers and so that's how we know where he stands even though he doesn't want to talk about it right and and excuse me and and that's the thing too I think anytime you start to see dark money show up in a race um, that's when you know that that somebody's uh, that somebody's sort of that that serious kind of little bit of far right candidate because you know um it's just it's it's like um for years you've seen a, a, in the congressional race the keith rothfuss congressional race there's been so much dark money thrown in a third you know third party money thrown in there and we're not seeing it this time as he's running against connor lamb because they're kind of feeling so um that, that potentially that seat may be a loss but where they feel like they really have to fight to hold a seat that money starts flowing in oh yeah there's at, so much money being spent in this yeah. district and how do you how have you, and I'm not maybe, I mean, I don't know if you have specifics, but how are you combating that spending wise? I mean, are you, how is your, has this helped you fundraise at all? I mean, or is it? It has helped me fundraise and, you know, we're going to be as competitive as we mm-hmm. possibly can, but it also, you know, comes back to the grassroots. Yeah. I, I come out of the field like that's, that's my, like I've knocked on doors for, I don't even know how many candidates right. and I don't even know how many doors, um, but that's what really moves voters yeah. is having that one-on-one conversation um, about not what do I care about, mm-hmm. but what do you care about? Right. And what are they saying? I mean, we talked a little bit about education. What what else are they saying that they that they care about? Are there any kind of micro, like very district-oriented things that people are talking about? A little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always like development projects. Sure. There's you know, in in Millvale and Etna, you have a lot of and O'Hara. You've seen a lot with with flooding and how are we going to address those infrastructure needs. And we absolutely need to be making sure that we invest in infrastructure. Not only does that, you know, help make that better. Mm -hmm. It also, you know, those are good union jobs. Those are, those are putting people to work. That's how, you know, that's how I was raised. That was what brought me up. And those workers then invest that money back into their community. They go out to dinner. They they buy some pizza. They you know they support the sp- small businesses in their community. So spending money on infrastructure is important. Let's talk a little bit about specifically kind of some of the campaign that Jeremy Schaefer has been running. And and, and as we talked, we're talking before the show. There have been several mailers um, targeting you, um, thrown out in the community. Um, but what's getting, and honestly, for all the political hawks out there, I just want to say, and that's our show for today and not talk about the signs just to <laughs> play a little trick, but, but we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll talk about that. So, uh, this, this past weekend, I think they started popping up, um, campaign signs that look very much in the font and in the design of your campaign signs, except in the middle of the sign is the word, uh, socialist highlighted in white letters highlighted in red, um, socialist for state Senate, um, when did you become aware of these signs? And this is, by the way, you can read our very excellent story by Kim Lyons on PittsburghCurrent.com. Um, when did you become aware of the signs? Because you were at an event on Saturday, correct? That with yes. Governor Wolf Governor and Wolf, Lieutenant yep. Governor um, uh, candidate uh, John Fetterman. Um, when did you become aware and how did it sort of go down? I started getting texts really late Friday night when mm-hmm. they, they put them up in the middle of the night, yeah. Friday night. Um, and so everybody woke up to them on Saturday morning and people were really upset because they're, they're misleading. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. 
And, and, you know, and so that's what we talked about that, right. that morning. Yeah. And there are, I mean, there are, and there are a couple of things. Um, and that was one of those moments too, that you, you kind of stepped up and said, look, regardless of what they do, we have to like, we yes. have to calm yeah. down, rise above yeah. it and sort of, yeah, we have to treat them as yeah. political signs and, yeah. and respect them and leave them where they are. We don't want our signs taken down. Yeah. We got to leave theirs alone. And so, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, so, and then, you know, once in our story, once, you know, once we, once they started talking about it on, I think it was Monday or so, um, they kind of doubled down on the whole thing and they're like, you know, she should be proud of her socials background, blah, blah, whatever, um, rhetoric. And, um, so there are a couple things here. Number one is that, um, there's socialism and then there is the democratic socialists of America, which is a political organization. It, it, it's, it's. You know, it's not the socialism that they're trying to pin on you as well as other candidates I've seen who have oh, yeah. also. And they're it was, using it all across the yeah, state. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's um, and it's a movement that, quite frankly, has seen has. And I'm not talking about Lindsay's case here, but has seen candidates get elected. I mean, here locally, uh, Sarah Inamorado and Summer Lee were both endorsed by the DSA, Pittsburgh DSA. Um, and we're going to talk about your endorsement here in a second. Mm -hmm. um, but you did apply for, or you did, you did apply for the the uh, the endorsement of the DSA, and you didn't you didn't receive it. What was that? What was what was behind the decision to go for the endorsement? And mm -hmm. given what happened now, if you had to do it differently, would you would you make another decision on that? You know, I I'm a I'm a Democrat, have been since I was 18, yeah. and and I. I identify as a workers' rights advocate, mm -hmm. and I always have. And I sought the endorsement because I was in a contested primary, right. and you talk to all Democrats. Right. And I, and I went into that room, who I am today, who I was yesterday, right. who I'm going to be tomorrow, right. as a workers' rights advocate, and talked about the issues I care about, mm -hmm. talked about increasing the minimum wage, I talked about investing in our public schools, right. I talked about you know everybody having access to affordable, quality right. health care. And, you know... I didn't get the endorsement and I don't have it now, but I went in there and, and talked to yeah. those voters because that's right. important. Right. Because why, I mean, even, even if it's, if your if your opinions don't line up, you know, exactly with somebody, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk to that voter or talk no. to that person. And I'm running to represent everybody yeah. in a district, not right. just the people who agree with me. And it's, nobody's ever going to agree with me a hundred percent of the time. You know exactly. Um, were you um, were you surprised that, that he went this way um, with the? With, I mean, did you see? Did you? I mean, I don't know if some of the other attacks, if you saw those coming, but did you see this coming at all? Was this sort of out of left field, or did you expect him in some oh, way no, to use this? He's been he's been taught, using it just yeah, not to this level. Just not to this level. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Um, so, I think probably one thing we should talk about is the fact that. So what 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 does something like this do? It may not have any effect on how people view you, but what it does do, I think, um, is it distracts from talking about the issues of the race. Absolutely. And that's what I talked about when I was at that event with Governor Wolf is it is a distraction. Mm -hmm. People want to talk about the issues. And and so that's why I've just stayed laser focused on that's what we're going to do. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about the issues and and that's what is going to move voters. Do you do you uh, do you guys have any uh, do you guys have a debate plan? Do you have a yes plan? November first at I believe seven p.m. at CCAC North. Great and and I assume <laughs> definitely the hope will be is to sort of stick to. Uh, do you think it'll be hard to to keep on to keep on task to to keep him on task? I guess to talk about issues and not 
it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, I think, and I think voters are really going to tune into it, especially since everything that's been happening over the last week or so. Yeah. And also just as a matter of housekeeping, just to say that also, I believe on Monday, a lawsuit was filed of completely frivolous lawsuit. That's my opinion. Uh, frivolous lawsuit to question your residency status. Um, and again, challenges like this. I mean, we see challenges to residencies, to petition signatures, but we see that in the primary yeah, election. It was supposed to be in March. Yes. If if you had a challenge. If it was right, a legitimate yeah, challenge, it should yeah. have been brought in March. And, and do you, I mean, is, is, if, if someone is trying these distracted distraction, techniques of distraction, do you think it's fair to infer that maybe they don't want to talk about the issues or they want to sidestep that's the issues? That's what I'm inferring, you know? <laughs> well, that's what I infer, but, you know, people people know where I stand. Um, but let's talk a little bit, back, going back to the campaign here, just to kind of finish up. Um, uh, you got an endorsement yourself recently, um, and I would think uh, you were endorsed by President Barack Obama. Yes. I would think as, as, um, as someone who grew up in a political household, um, a young Democrat as yourself. Um, and I don't know, you know, where you kind of were like in, like, I don't know what you're, you know, where you were age wise in terms of when Barack Obama was elected. It has to be a huge sort of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. It was a, it was a huge, and a, and a shock too. I had no idea. You had no idea. It was coming. <laughs> and yeah. So. Is he sort of, is, is, um, what does, if you can explain to me is as a young candidate, what does, what does Barack Obama sort of symbolized to you in terms of a young candidate when you look at what Barack Obama did how how vital is he do you think to young candidates like yourself getting involved you know I, I think he really showed <sighs> tapping into that young energy yeah. and it's there I mean there are a lot of young volunteers on my campaign who care yeah. you know who care and have started to see how politics really impacts their lives and that energy is electric yeah. and it's good to be seeing that now. Fantastic. Um, and then, so going down the stretch, how do you, how do you stay focused on the issues? Just worry about your own game, your own campaign? Yes. yes. Uh, and you know, keep it's, you know, it's a challenge. Yeah. It is. You have moments where you're like, Ugh. but if you always come back to, I'm doing this to represent these yeah. voters, these citizens of Senate District 38, and it's about them and it's about their issues and just go back and knock on another door or go talk to another voter. It gets you back in yeah. the, in, in the main. And they, they always have great questions and, and they have such like fabulous stories and yeah. experiences and things that, you know, I wouldn't know that I'm constantly learning from them, which is really my favorite part. Absolutely. Lindsay Williams, thank you for joining us on the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. To learn more about Lindsay, you can go to lindsayforpa.com. To read about the most recent um, <laughs> campaign news of, of from Lindsay's, the campaign controversies, you can read Kim Lyon's story on pittsburghcurrent.com. You can follow us on social media at pghcurrent. And so just a few, uh, Bethany usually does this, but she's not here today. We'll talk about some events coming up um, in the next few few weeks. Um if you're an artist celebrating Inktober, make sure between now and next Wednesday you tag Pittsburgh Current and use hashtag Current Ink. We have partnered with Redfish Bowl and we'll be announcing a winner at, at the Halloween Bash. And the winning submission will be featured in our November 6th issue. Speaking of the Halloween Bash, the Halloween Bash is right here in Beachview and rounds out the Romero Lives Month in Pittsburgh. Starting with Trick or Treat at 530 as the bash goes well into the night 
and includes Lucha Libre wrestling, food trucks, vendors, bands, and some human <clears throat> suspension with only flesh. And um, we are having our next currently at featuring the Homewood neighborhood. We'll be doing uh, having our Homewood feature in our next issue, which is issue seven, which comes out on Tuesday. Um, Saturday, November 3rd from 3 to 7 is an indoor-outdoor. Uh, there will be food, drinks, music, spoken word, artists, vendors, and pop-ups. And that will be in and outside the Galaxy Lounge. And you can mark your calendar for currently at the New Galaxy. And finally, our election night watch party will, with our friends at the Incline will be November 6th election night. <clears throat> we'll be setting up shop at local Pittsburgh on Carson. We'll have uh, two mobile newsrooms. Um, uh, Lexi and her team will have a, a newsroom as well as the Pittsburgh Current newsroom. We'll also, we will be <laughs> live podcasting from the event. And with that, I think as my voice goes, we should probably end the show. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.